ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Let's make this the monologue. Now, beginning of. now, now, now we are on. Ah, excellent. Welcome back. Recording Thomas. again. Back to another episode of Peak Speak. Yes, here we are. How's Two the competition? Days. Yeah, it was, it was good, man. Um,. No major catastrophes. One annoying misload, um, but otherwise an uneventful day in terms of issues arising. I think mm. everyone had fun. Uh, made for a long day. We sort of did two flights and then a bench-only flight afterwards. Uh, but yeah, because yeah. it was only one bench or push-pull flight, but because it was only one flight for push-pull, we had to have like a half-hour break between the end of their benching and the start of their deadlifting. So that just dragged the day out a little bit, but still pretty cruisy in the scheme of things wait uh, i thought we, it was a three lift comp yeah so we did a three lift and then we did uh we had like 10 One, or 11 people uh, doing okay. push pull and or single lift yeah okay, uh, okay, okay. so we gave them some time after the end of the three lift comp i just because I, what i didn't want to do was slap them in amongst the three lift guys and drag the three lift day out i'd rather get mm. them through and do that as a short day for them and then um be able to uh, have some time to do the push pull afterwards yeah yeah nice how was your comp yeah good good it was a good day we had like uh just over 30 lifters um nice. queensland was in a bit of a heat wave last week so that was uh a nice little <sighs> nice little sprinkle on top of the cake nothing um, like competing equipped in queensland <laughs> during a heat wave man i was i was uh not too worried about it because november all of november was nice 
all of November wasn't too bad heat wise and training wasn't too bad and I was like get away with it and then the, just this one week was was extremely hot yeah um, so yeah it was it was a hot day it was thankfully cooler than the the preceding days so that was um that was nice everyone there did did really well I competed myself um I did 980 uh equipped single ply walked out have to add the walked out because it's obviously yeah, well, obviously <laughs> far more impressive than using a stinking monolift and, and with an Aleco, not even a squat bar that was my choice i uh uh, uh yeah i don't like squat bars very much so i wanted the whole meet to be with an Aleco yeah, bar nothing fun. says set myself up for the best possible pr total like running the the comp yourself and choosing which bar you lift based exclusively on your own preference well technically technically <laughs> in the apl uh, you cannot compete in the meet of which you are the meet director. So I was not the meet director. It was James. So James is to blame for the equipment choices. Um, I'm just very grateful that he chose the uh, the Illico bar and not the squat bar. Thank you, James. That is the biggest load of bullshit I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, man. I, I saw that. Was it your second squat where it looked like maybe you'd crossed over <laughs> to the other side and I, then yeah. you managed to come back? That was impressive. I definitely died. I definitely squatted, did a pistol squat with 380 and squatted it all on my left leg, which definitely knows about it right now. Yeah, I bet. Um, so that, yeah, that was, that was fun. And about a um, foot too deep to be an actual <coughs> acceptable equip squat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, everyone's like, why didn't you squat higher? I'm like, I didn't have a choice. I was being crushed by 380 yeah. kilos. I didn't know where I was in space. I was just trying not to die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. Just, just stop at a certain point and hope you don't die on the way back up and you'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll make a satirical point, post a, at, at some stage about the, Inevitably, about yeah. the meat. Um, Are you happy with your results? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not unhappy. Um, I think next time I compete, uh, I was talking to Stenzel about this the other day. Like, historically, since I've been coaching, I've always coached, handled, wrapped uh, lifters at every meet that I've done since, every single meet. Um, and I don't know if it's age, I don't know if it's fatness, I don't know what it is, but I seem to be a lot less resilient to doing that now than I used to be. Um, or I'm just stronger and like I can express that strength better and create more fatigue. I don't know what it is, but it's getting harder and harder to handle people to the uh, to the quality that I'm happy with and lift on the same day. So I think next yeah. time I compete, I'll make a point of doing it by myself. Yeah, man. I, I think that... Um that's one thing that I've certainly, like I obviously haven't competed in a handful of years now, but uh, the last couple of comps I've done have been at my gym in meets where I've been handling people mm. and coaching and stuff. And it's just, it's not, to me, it's, a, it's not actually as enjoyable as a competitive experience because I spend the whole time focusing on other people and the nature of a meet where you're coaching and like in my case, I was running the meet and coaching and then competing that means my competing comes last in terms of priority mm. uh and i think that for me like it was it was still fun but it's not as fun as being able to actually just focus on nothing but your own experience for the day i think that's a really powerful thing whether it's a, a fatigue management thing in that you're just not as tired but i think mentally as well that ability to focus is just makes it more enjoyable, makes it a, a better time, and you're far, obviously, far more likely then to succeed. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah for, and, and exactly the same thing so like i was i was coordinating the meet i was looking after a bunch of people and lifting and my lifting was sort of the the bottom of that priority list for me as well and like i said i, I just wasn't happy with the i guess the quality of presence that i had as as a coach and yeah. you know m- most of my lifters are um, either experienced enough or mature enough to not need me to hold their hand the whole way through but like for example i squatted my second and died of 380 um unwrap my knees instead and straight away had to to wrap a lifter um for their third squad and i dropped the wrap yeah uh, so i was doing one of those ones where you're like fucking flicking the whole wrap yeah, over yeah, and that's such a pain in the ass um, and it you know for that person in that seat it, it would have been easy for them to let that get the better of them and be like something has gone wrong and let that get in yeah. their head uh thankfully she's um you know uh, a good enough competitor to not have that gotten to her head and, and to squat yeah. a PB squat, which was uh, awesome. So shout out to Lydia. And uh, she crushed that meat. Um, I also think that speaks to uh, your coaching philosophy as well. Like I'm very similar in that my goal is to actually not be needed on comp day. Like I'm obviously there to wrap knees. If people want knees wrapped, I'm there to make decisions or help make decisions for attempts and stuff like that. But I'm much more interested in my work basically having been done by the time you get to the comp platform and that that is your experience as a lifter. And it's about me being there to support you in whatever way you need, but holding your hand through the process, I just don't think is beneficial to either lifter or coach in the long term. Mm-hmm. I don't think it allows enough autonomy in the process that then puts you in this sort of position where the athlete is reliant on the coach and then that one time where your coach is sick or something like that, it suddenly becomes this whole thing that you've been hinging your success on. Mm. So I think from a from a coaching standpoint, I'm always seeking to uh, encourage autonomy and you know develop that over time but also i think from an athlete standpoint it's useful to not feel like you need your coach at, at every moment to make every decision for you yeah yeah it's it, it's interesting so like if you're and i talk to you know coaches in the coach development system about this all the time if you're working one-on-one with people and loading their bars and you know babying them the whole way through that starts to become an expectation um, and so uh, with me working remotely with a lot of my lifters a lot of them are autonomous for the fact that I'm not there with them. Yeah. Um, and as a coach, it's it's exactly like John was just saying. It's your responsibility to start to foster some of that autonomy um, and to start to, you know, um, get this person ready for, you know, inevitably, A, eventually not being your client. They move away. They don't have you. You go on holiday. They go on holiday and they train, whatever. You know, eventually you are not going to be around. And, and B, like on competition day if you're working with a uh, a powerlifting coach they don't even have to be a big name or big top tier powerlifting coach just the fact that they coach in this specific sport you should expect that eventually you're going to be at a competition where they're coaching more than just you and yeah. so there is going to need to be this element of autonomy and self-care that you know because uh, it's always i find it really shocking when like um you know for example i uh have been to IPL Worlds the last couple of years and looked after the Australian team. And it's, um, I've always found it weird, uh, like this is big in IPF and especially in PA when like the team has a coach, but the coach doesn't know the people. Like the coach hasn't been with the people. And so like someone on the team will come up and be like, I need to warm up. What do I do? And they're like, well, what do you normally do? And they're like, I don't know. 
Like what? Yeah. You squat every single week, and you don't know your weight progression for this weight. Yeah. Uh, for the for this um you know this particular opener or whatever. It's like fine. Well, you know, I'll take the wheels, or they'll come to me with their regular weight progression. I'm like, this is what you do. Oh God. Um, you know, then the, there needs to be some degree of autonomy. Otherwise, yeah, you're just kind of floundering around. For me personally as well, at competitions where I've got, you know, uh, minimal people, when I go and look after one or two people, I'll make a point of not babying them. I'll walk away yeah, yeah. and chat to other people and let yeah, them, exactly. you know, be in their space and interact with others. And like, I don't want them to feel like they need someone there to tell them to fucking, you know, put their straps up and, you know, put chalk on their hand three minutes before their, you know, third warm up or whatever. Yeah, man. And I think having been at a lot of the very best powerlifting meets in Australia and having seen a lot of the very best powerlifters in Australia, uh, uh, who are both Australian and obviously internationals as well, the ones that are always most impressive to me are the ones that don't need six people around them babying through the whole process like they don't you know it's nice to have someone who will occasionally slap a plate on for you in between your warm-up sets or maybe grab you that drink bottle but to have an entourage that has to follow you around at all times and you feel like you need to be surrounded by this group of people for a whole meet i think it's just yeah just i think in the end a little bit too much for a sport that like really only lasts for like maybe 35 seconds you know in total like your your actual performance on the platform doesn't last for that long and i think having to be sort of babied through the whole process in and around that leads you to this position where you get to the platform and suddenly you're all alone and you have to be able to to execute the performance yourself and i think maybe you can lose some of the skill that comes with that if you're constantly having someone do everything for you and make every decision and those sort of things i yeah i just don't think it's sustainable in the scheme of things i think that's a really good point i've never looked at it like that like eventually you have to leave the nest as a lifter like when you go yeah. out to do your attempts i can't be out there holding your hand i can't be out there back spotting you or side spotting you or whatever my role normally is I can yell at you from the side but at this that point yelling is just encouragement it's redundant yeah I'm not going to yep. tell you to fucking twist your quads away from each other uh, before yeah. you go to do a max squat because that's just dumb. You, uh, Stand up, point. take a breath, four steps back, big breath, <laughs> squat. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a that's a really interesting point. I, I struggle with the entourage thing. Like, I don't actually have that much of a problem besides the fact that I don't like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I can understand how a lifter would feel that they need their support crew and um, it does feel good to have support around you, I assume. Like, um, yeah. for, for me, I get a bit funny about people. Like, yeah, even at, in the gym, when, when I'm wrapping my knees and, like, I help everyone up after I wrap their knees. And I don't like to be helped up after I wrap their knees. So, someone does the, you know, the selfless thing of sticking their hand out. A lot of the times, I'll ignore it and stand up myself. And I feel like a piece of shit. But I, it's just part of my mind getting ready to squat is like this is how i've always done it i've wrapped yeah. i've stood up myself i've put on my belt i've gotten under the bar like it's yeah, it's yeah. just my rhythm and routine and so like it's so nice to have those people around but the entourage thing like the the full-on crew um it, it's just a little bit embarrassing i again the i don't actually me, have that much of a problem it's just yuck <laughs> look the thing for me that i have a problem with is actually more from a meat director's standpoint like yeah it, your six-person entourage taking up two-thirds of the warm-up room because you've created a halo of bags around you that you can't <laughs> let anyone else into just is a shit move on behalf of everyone else. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's the... It, like, it's selfish in a way because you're 
assuming that the most important thing that's happening in that meet is you. Mm. And that then puts you in a position where all these other lifters are maybe having to, you know, do things that they consider to be impolite, like push in, in in terms of getting racks to warm up on or things like that, where having this group of people can, especially for new and, and relatively novice lifters, can also be really intimidating. And I, I they can say it's very antisocial. Yeah, exactly. They can feel a bit like they don't have a place and that maybe they don't get an opportunity to just do one of their warm-ups or, or something like that where that's the problem I have with it. It's just not good etiquette in my mm. mind. I think it it takes away from the experience that the other lifters have around you. Like, fuck, by all means, have your friends in the crowd. My girlfriend and some friends made fucking streamers and pom-poms for my first nationals in 2011 the capo nats like fuck yeah i'm all about bring as many people as you want to support you in non-covid times obviously um but when your entourage of six people takes up two-thirds of the warm-up room i think you're just being a dick Mm. Uh, and i think there's a there's a line between having a supportive group of friends who want to see you do well and usurping the entire warm-up room for your entourage because you think you're the most important person at the meet. Mm. What would you say has been your least pleasant warm-up room experience? I want to know names. So I, I want to know faces. The, the two things that immediately uh, come to mind are... <laughs> so uh, Capo Nationals 2011. So that was my first equipped comp. Uh, my first national event, I think it was even my first sanctioned event. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, and I was competing the juniors, uh, equipped and I walked in and I said to the meet director at the time, I was like, Oh, uh, I am like, I'm competing in this flight. There's only one mono it's on the platform. Like we're going to have an opportunity to warm up on that at all. Or and he was like, no. Nah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, Walk so out multiply. I, yeah, so I, I went into the warm-up room. Unfortunately, I had my friend there and um, and another guy who was there who I don't even remember who it was now. Um, but I had them. So I unracked it in a squat stands, a set of squat stands that were like had a base that was like nearly a square meter. So <laughs> I had to unrack it in this really incredibly narrow stance, have them move the... Uh, squat stance backwards and then I would like step I think I did two or three steps out to the side like it wasn't just like two steps set it was like really wobble it right out to my squat stance did a warm up and then like wobbled it back in and had the squat stance put back in and um, yeah like I think I did my last warm up at 250 straps down and it was like a mile high felt my adductor tweak a little bit was like fuck it i'm done warming up i'm just gonna (laughs) hit my opener and see what happens uh the most annoying part about that was not that i had to adjust to the conditions that it was that that the next day someone else who was a friend of the person in charge of the meet got to work their warm-ups into the flight that was competing at the time and that was the thing that was most annoying to me like I can That's adapt fucked. to some equipment shit, but the the fact that you treated your friend differently to how you treated me because he's your friend is fucking bullshit. Mm. Uh, and I was I was pretty annoyed about that. Um, the other one was that uh, in terms of most hairy comp experience was um, Pro Raw One in the Frankston Dolphins footy shed where I'd been uh, house sitting a family friend's house f- with my girlfriend for 
like the better part of three or four weeks before the meet and hadn't actually done that much training uh and so i was so thrown off in the warm-up room by staring at myself in a mirror that i missed my last opener i'm oh, sorry my last warm-up got out for my opener in wraps and was used to being able to like hang off the bar and sort of pull myself underneath did that and the squat stands almost fell over and so i almost killed myself with the squat stands <laughs> um they're probably my two least favorite warm-up room experiences but um otherwise i think we're pretty spoiled in yeah. the scheme of things what about you um the first one uh, the biggest one that comes to mind is is gpc worlds in 2013 so this was my first ever time to europe and first ever time to an international powerlifting comp um and it was like me scott wasson uh gus cook nat hodges matt stenzel uh ricky goodyear all competing on the same day and um uh, gus matt and i were all in the hundreds believe that or not uh and uh, we were all we were all warming up at the same time but competing on different platforms and, and Scott had warned us I'm pretty sure Scott warned us just be careful with with some of the other teams from some of the other countries they can be pretty brutal in the warm-up room and we're like what are you talking about there's gonna be like three or four of us we're not we're not worried about anything hairy going on and like it would it would literally be like if you weren't guarding your equipment like with your life and physically stopping people from changing the equipment while you're about to use it that it was game over and that's exactly the experience that happened to us it's like i started loading one side of the bar that uh, you know the other side of the bar that i'd already loaded um i started loading the other side of it and the russian team just came and unloaded the other side while i was loading it and i'm like hey we're about to use this they just pretend they can't understand you and jump on the bench it's just stole it like it's just me versus four of them and what can i do <laughs> like and yeah. it, that wasn't an isolated incident it happened a few times and there was some uh, pretty heated arguments between several of the teams uh, i'm too docile to get involved in that sort of stuff but uh, i learned from that and at future world championships in europe you, yeah you have to stand your ground and just be brutal and just be like you over here lifter right now come and do the thing if someone touches your butt don't fucking touch that we're about to go it sucks because like you're so used to being in our warm-up rooms where everyone's yeah. like no you go no you go I'll, I'll go i'll go and you know being all friendly and i'll load your bar I'll, and it's just like not like that at all it's literally like every man for himself and uh, yeah, I, that paints a bad picture because there is a lot of good camaraderie and everything like that at those competitions but it can get pretty hairy yeah, and that's the thing that I think, uh, like, we're really spoiled because I've, I've, you know, I've been warm-up rooms with you and mostly the closest it gets to anything like that is a bit of shit talk in between warm-up sets and things like that. But it's, you know, everyone's there helping each other load bars and figuring out who's next and mm. who's wrapping so that they can do that and what's your pin height and, you know, all of those sort of things. But, um, yeah, that, that sort of shit's just it's just kind of worthless in the end because it does like it doesn't make it any better for your team you know like you're just not you're not getting anything out of that it's not some unfair advantage you're just being a dick yeah yeah uh it's funny no i think the the most frustrating thing that happens in australian warm-up rooms is when you know an innocent lifter has gotten a a nice warm-up structure from some do-gooder coach who's put it all in like perfect even jumps or perfect percentages and you'll have 140 on the bar and they're like oh my coach wants me to do 137.5 
be like just do 140 no no my coach said 130 it actually doesn't matter just fucking do 140 because i do not want to take this plate off the bar yeah which is why you do the thomas lily approach to warm-ups which is where you never actually load a weight at never. all no you just hop between racks until you find the weight that you want and Absolutely. just conveniently hide in the corner whenever it comes to be yeah. time to actually load any plates on the bar I wouldn't say hide in the corner. I just yeah, it's pretty fucking close to hide in the fade corner. In, fade into the crowd. Yeah, I've seen you disappear suddenly yeah, in a warm-up room bomb. when it comes time. Yeah, it comes time to put a plate on the bar. I do it in the gym too. I just jump around to like three benches and be like, oh, "Can I just jump in here real quick, bro?" Yeah, no, I'll have a go. Yeah, just a quick warm-up. It's, that'll it's do. The ul- the ultimate in efficiency. Never actually loading a bar at all. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, it. I've loaded enough bars for people in my times. I've, I've earned my keep at competition. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's my attitude. So what's your favorite comp memory then from an Australian powerlifting uh, standpoint? I mean, we've had some pretty fucking awesome comps in Australia in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I think we should just keep this to like our personal yeah yeah personal I'd, favorite memories rather than I think coaching it's very easy to suddenly start going down a rabbit hole of yeah which is what this episode was meant to be we've just been chatting and it's just turned into something else which is cool yeah. um because we'll like do that another time we, professionals we still have to do like the five dickheads of the warm-up room episode as well yeah. um, do we have to do it or do we just have to continue to tease it once uh, every three months until we never do it yeah it's been three years man just <laughs> i'm okay oh. with like another three to four years of teasing it every three months to just really build up the anticipation it'd be our most downloaded episode ever yeah i i really find it hard to get past nationals 2013 um I can't remember exactly in Melbourne where it was. It was at a Ridges Hotel. It yeah, was the yeah. second national. The, the cops turned up at like twice or three times over yeah, the weekend because people were complaining about the noise. And so Marcus just turned the fucking music up. <laughs> we we had Dan Green there. We had Odell yep. do the first ever 400 kilo raw squat in Australia. Yeah. Um, I think he pulled 390 at that meet as well. Um, and it was just like a super, super, super electric atmosphere. It was kind of like when... When powerlifting was just starting to kind of get big again, especially raw powerlifting, when the room full of spectators is all the lifters, it's just a different... It's, yeah. you, we get the same... You probably have had the same effect that your comps. My comps this year has been so much more electric because all the people watching are lifters. Yeah. Everyone gets behind each other. When it's all just families, everyone's like, oh, I don't want to cheer for that person. Oh, I feel a <laughs> yeah, bit yeah. awkward yelling for that person. Yeah. So it, it just picture like 200 lifters crammed into a space where 200 people shouldn't have been. Especially 200 like above average size people as well. Yeah. And it was just loud and it was savage. And there was that last flight. They did it differently. They didn't do it in weight classes or open. Yeah, it was like a, a super flight. It was a super flight of all the biggest lifters. So all yeah, the top lifts cool. happened in one flight. Uh, which was unreal. Um, and I, like I I can think of more impressive comps and more impressive lifting at certain comps, but I think yeah. just like the introduction to, okay, this is now the new landscape or the new model for Australian powerlifting. And it really um, was, man. Like that, that was the first big GPC nationals. Like 2012 was okay, but 2013 was huge. It was the mm. first time we'd had international lifters in an Australian comp. I think, you know, not ever, but certainly the first time in the modern era, so to speak. And it was uh, Dan Green who was, like, taking over the world. He was the Yuri Belkin of the time. Like, he was... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just the, 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 the creme de la creme. Yeah, I remember helping uh, him and 
Sparkle order coffee because they were just like completely lost as to what the coffee menu meant. And I t- spoke down, I was like, like, what do you actually want? And he's like, just like black coffee. I'm like, yeah, cool. Just order this. And they're like, oh yeah, great. And have an Americano. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you remember uh, Sam Nayef dropped a 50 kilo plate on his toe? No. Yeah, he dropped, he dropped one of the, it was the first time Marcus had the Ivanko 50s. He bought oh, them for God, that comp. Those 50s are such a pain in the ass. And he, yeah, Sam Nayef dropped one on his toe, I'm pretty sure. Ugh, gross. That would have really hurt. That was the year I, um, I came in 500 grams over the weight limit, standing on the scales at weigh-in time. 500 grams over and had to sit in my car in the car park oh, for 45 gross. minutes spitting into a cup yeah, gross. <laughs> came back in at 500 500 grams under like 125.0 it's mm. like yep sweet <laughs> done problem solved yeah i cut time. i didn't i didn't have to cut much i think i cut four kilos to make the hundreds and i remember refeeding on shapes and chocolate milk and yeah, uh, i ate my in, body weight in oreos in hindsight it was a terrible idea I used to think back then that I was like ready. My refeed had been successful if I woke up with acid reflux on the comp day. <laughs> like I've eaten so much that my body's trying to tell me to stop. That's how I know I was ready. It's funny because I, I was talking to someone the other day about like how I don't like it when people cry after lifts. Uh, and, and again, it's it's another because you're an emotionless asshole. Well, it's an, it's another thing like the entourage. I don't actually have a true problem with it. Like it's, I think it's kind of cute or sweet or something. One of those adjectives. Um, but I don't like it. But I did cry after I I squatted two fifty at that comp, which was like a twenty something kilo PB, yeah, uh, nice. and I cried after I did it. Um, and I'll f- never forgive myself for it. <laughs> I, I squatted 400 of that, mate. That's that was sick. my first 400 kilo squat. It was like toes touching the monolift, so just wide. barely shaved depth, and managed to pass it. How and many? It took me did, two years to beat that. Did anyone else compete equipped? Yeah, it was me. That was Adam. So that was no, it was me, uh, Zerba, and Tim O'Shea all competed in oh. 125s. That's one of the only uh, GPC medals I've actually kept. I've like given medals back in the past because they don't mean anything to me. But uh, because you're the only competitor, or yeah, basically. Um, And and like you know, like I did one in Melbourne, totaled like fifty kilos under my best PB. Still came Mm. first because there was no one else competing. Like I just that's a gold medal that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. But that one I still have uh, because that was the first one. That was the first time I'd really like had some actual direct competition in my. in my weight class and um yeah basically i just out squatted zerber and tim o'shea so much that neither of them could catch up it was great. <laughs> that's so good yeah it was um i opened bench i took like a 60 kilo jump between my bench opener and my second attempt because i warmed up in the shirt took my shirt off came out and opened at like 110 or 115 or something raw because i wasn't confident in touching in the shirt uh <laughs> in a way that didn't potentially jeopardize my squat record so i did my opener ran back out the back and waddled out the back put my bench shirt on did like two warm-ups to a two board and then came out and hit my second attempt it was great yeah 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 no that that's uh that's really cool like that that year and then the following three years were like the yeah um, the absolute yeah. pinnacle of of gpc nats that's yeah man yeah. 2015 still stands out as like the just the most wild week i've had 
in terms of like professionally and personally in terms of lifting and stuff like that was something that I don't think we'll ever get to do again in Australia just because uh comps that just aren't that big anymore we don't have a scale where we're gonna let three and a, 350 people or something over six days compete because it was maybe a bit much but it was really cool to have been a part of mm. yeah it's uh, what what i think is really unfortunate um and i hope this doesn't come across as pompous because it's not meant <laughs> it to probably be. will just spoiler alert but like you know getting to coaching at that that meet or or being at that meet and being present at that meet as as one of the i guess insiders was was quite accessible to reach that kind of level now you have to be at the pro raws you know because because pro raw has grown so huge and nationals has kind of fallen by the wayside if we're talking about gpc specifically you know yeah um and so i think that was really really fucking cool about that comp is that like everyone was there yeah, yeah, like the well, the whole GPC crowd at the time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was that was the pinnacle of uh, you know untested knee wraps raw lifting in Australia at the time, and that was still like one of the biggest comps in Australian history in terms of numbers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, in the five hundreds. Yeah, it was crazy. Five seventy, maybe. Five seventy. Yeah, I competed twice that year. I competed uh, equipped on the Tuesday, and then uh, raw on the Sunday. Oh, did you really? <laughs> yeah, I hit two PB totals in um in six days, and That's crazy. Uh, managed to get drunk and end up at a strip club with Zerber at some point too. Um, Excellent, that was a fun time. <laughs> I do remember yeah, you walking it's, it's around. It's surface, like what else are you gonna do? I do remember you walking around all weekend with like a chest uh, GoPro attachment. Yeah, I've still got some ripping footage of that. That's my that's my biggest memory of that meet. Yeah, that was um because <laughs> that was the year that uh. Emad was gonna come and claim the dance off title, title from me and Annie, and then I showed him my the outfit that I intended to wear, and he's like, "Well, I have to retire now," <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, it was a good time. I, I, yeah, I, I feel like I haven't been to a comp like that for so long, as in like yeah. you know a multi day comp with a huge banquet and party at the end. Yeah, yeah, um, it's I, um, it certainly doesn't happen on the same scale at nationals as it used to. Yeah, I just don't know if I've got it in me anymore. To be honest, man, <laughs> I think maybe my uh, my days of particularly long uh, uh, post meet banquets and after parties are um, it's just him taking the dog from me. Uh, yeah, uh, perhaps over. I'm not ruling it out. Like you know, still throw one in there every now and again, but it's not the thing that I'm planning three days out from the meet like I normally am. Yeah, I kind of. Um I kind of am happy to leave it leave it in the past. Like it was, it's, yeah. it's good to reflect back on. Oh, it was great. I had a great time doing it, but I'm not in a rush to do it again. I'll be curious to see, um, you know, there might be one good thing to chat about with Will real quick, uh, just in terms of like what happens at, at PA Nationals these days versus historically in terms of, mm. you know, that, that sort of, you know, multi-day event everyone getting together and having because you know unfortunately i've never had the uh the pleasure of of being able to do that because i'm absolutely not allowed or i'll get shot yes you and me both my friend mm. i was allowed uh, to do it with the ipf uh in in new zealand that was always cool they were cool uh, yeah you know banquets and stuff like that yeah and i think that's it's one of the unfortunate parts of the fortunate growth of powerlifting that we've been a part of is Mm. that we've sort of come from a a circle where like i knew everyone (laughs) like we knew 
all the powerlifters in Australia. Like yep. certainly all the GPC lifters. I knew everyone. We we could talk to everyone. Now I can go to a meet and like actually feel a little bit like an outsider because it's like all these people that I just have never met before and all people like who know me through this or through the gym or something like that but people I've never met before it just has a very different vibe to it and I don't I don't think I want to say go back to where it was because it's so much bigger and more accessible and there's more avenues and there's more opportunities for everyone now but I think um yeah nostalgically it's it's kind of sad to have seen that that uh, era I guess in powerlifting pass and I'm super glad we got to be a part of it mm. yeah it's, it's kind of like a macro version of what happens in our gyms you know the gyms yeah. the gyms grow to the point where there's not one core group anymore but many small groups and many small communities within the the broader community yeah um, and uh, you know sometimes I don't know about you and uh, at Burley but there's there's some groups who I you know have know so well because they've been here forever and then new groups who i feel like i I don't know i feel like they're just members of my gym and it's yeah it's weird yeah yeah it 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 really is a a weird feeling but um i don't think in a bad way i just think it's it's a different thing as opposed Mm, to being yeah for sure a bad thing and especially with the growth of the sport like i'm stoked that we can't have a five-day comp anymore like that doesn't work because actually what you have to do is set a standard and that now you have to qualify for all of these meets like we're just not going to have that opportunity again um which is cool for the sport but yeah i think modern powerlifters if that's the right term for <laughs> what we are versus what they are um i think i maybe missed out on some of the golden days in that era mm. where do you want to see it go i don't know hey like i think I'd, I'd really like to see it just go back to like two federations and, you know, maybe like some sort of invitational. I think the, the problem with the pro raw arm of powerlifting, if that's, you know, that's the way you want to consider it, is that it went from being a, the sort of invite only event that was a standalone thing that people still competed at nationals and did all those things. So now it is the sort of premier event when it comes to the untested knee wrap side of things. And that means, like you said, nationals at GPC and things like that are a a little less prestigious than they were. Mm. Um, I think the problem from my point of view is that uh, we've just, we're very quickly going the way of America where there's too many federations because of just a bunch of, bullshit bickering over dumb little parts of a sport that uh is already fractured and divided enough i i would really like to be back in a position where we can just sort of have two feds mm. you know and have an avenue for pursuing both uh and everyone can just kind of get along but mm. um it seems like we're going the opposite direction in some ways uh and that's sad i think mm. um but yeah i don't know I haven't really thought much beyond that, uh, especially after the year we've had, because it's just been so fucked. But um, uh, I am keen to see it continue to grow in a way that remains accessible. I think um, sometimes some of the top uh, the top end of things can get a little bit elitist maybe Mm -hmm. and a little bit like exclusive Mm -hmm. i don't like that Mm -hmm. i think that 
ruins it for everyone else because it wasn't like that for you and i you know like it, mm. it just we had access to all the people that were at the top of the time because they would just be people who would talk to us yep <laughs> um and i think if we go too far down that road it'll suck mm-hmm. uh because it just kind of ruins it for all the the average people who are never going to be top tier powerlifters but still fucking love the sport and i think it was it is incredibly short-sighted of anyone to think that anyone other than those people is what the sport is built on mm-hmm. like the the sport's not built on the elite top five percent it's built on the rest of the people who give up their weekends to run comps who support people who do all those things that you don't see a lot of the elite level lifters do mm-hmm. and i think if you end up with a sport that's far too geared towards only satisfying that elite end you just end up ostracizing everyone i mean fucking rugby union's an excellent example of that where they've treated the top tier like they're gods and then kind of neglected the rest of it and it's a great way to end up splintering a sport and it eventually just being its downfall mm. yeah so yeah that's that's the thing I'm I'm concerned about. But in terms of the sport itself, I mean, it's continuing to grow. New people are joining every day and continuing to pursue it. I think that's fucking awesome. Mm. Um, but yeah, what about you? Where do you want to see it go? Um, I t- I find it. I always find it really hard to answer these sort of questions. Um, and I knew I was going to have to answer the question when I asked you. Because uh, I <laughs> not I look always. at it I'm like someone asking me. You know what's what's your like I, I look at it as someone saying to me like what's your what's your five-year plan what's your yeah. your 10-year plan it's like I, I don't do that i don't i don't exist in a in a world that includes planning ahead and foresight i, I exist in a world that's exists right now and the uh you know the actions right now determine the future so i'm going to put my thought and, and effort into that that said i think um if i had to nail it nail it down to something i would probably say i would like to see uh more legitimacy uh Mm. in the sport and um i think a big part of that is exactly what you were saying around the fact that you know the fracturing uh automatically takes away from that legitimacy Um, i can't offer any uh, wise insight into how i believe that should happen Um, i believe i am uh, closer to expiring in the sport than i am uh, you know, I believe I'm sort of getting over that over that hill and, and sort of more on my way out than I am on my way in. Um, so uh, I guess that's a, a way of excusing the fact that I don't have a very good answer. But um, yeah, legitimacy is where I'd like to, to see it trend towards. The reality of that happening, I think, is very low. Uh, the problem is I feel like we've kind of gone backwards in that respect. You know, like I, <laughs> I feel like... I would say we've f- gone in waves. Yeah, that's true. That's probably a better description. I, I think we we were at a point for a little while there where, like, there just wasn't a question about legitimacy at the top comps. Like, it was all across the board, really high-quality judging and not, like, high-quality, like, hey, we're just going to be complete assholes, but, like, actually fair, consistent, to the letter of the rules judging. Mm. That seems to have slipped as people want to pursue glory in whatever federation they decide to create on a sunday you know i think mm. that's that's the concerning thing yep 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 uh and that's a completely different can of worms so i reckon we just shut up yeah i, d- I don't want to open that can of worms <laughs> i'll just end up calling a bunch of people cunts <laughs> all right well that's it okay 
episode's over. <laughs> Fuck, that was lazy.